0: To begin with, I wonder if you can help me finish this sentence. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. Superman is probably one of the most iconic heroes of all time. The man who is indestructible, who has superhuman strength, who has x-ray vision, heat vision, and can fly. He has captured the hearts and minds of children and adults across many generations. We love a good hero. And since the creation of Superman, many more different heroes with different superpowers have filled the hearts and minds of people all around the world. As I look to the multitude of heroes that fill up books, movies, and comics, I was left with the searching question, what defines a hero? Well, you could argue that a hero in some way is strong. A hero can push the realms of possibility. And most importantly, a hero saves the day. For me, when I was growing up, my dad was one of my heroes. Now, unlike the Marvel or in the Marvel or DC universe, my dad wasn't blessed with supernatural powers, but my dad definitely knew how to push the realms of possibility and save the day. I remember on car rides that, we, that went throughout the night, my entire family could not fight the curse of sleep, but my dad, he didn't need sleep, and he could drive through the entire night if needed. I remember when we had food jars where the lids would not budge, there was no jar too strong for the mighty power of my dad's vice-like grip. I remember when things broke around the house, there just didn't seem to be anything that my dad could not fix. I remember when we were driving through storms and I remember looking out the front window and I could not see a thing. And yet my dad seemed to have vision that could see through the storm to the, the road and the cars that lay ahead. And my dad definitely flirted with the indestructible part of being a hero as he managed to survive multiple electrical shocks, being butted by billy goats, falling out of trees, cutting himself with chainsaws, and banging his bald head on more frames than you can imagine. Yep, my dad was definitely our hero. In fact, one Father's Day, we got him a mug which read, Dad, the legend, the myth, the man with the wallet. You know, for many children, their dad is their uh, hero with superhuman strength that can handle absolutely anything. Yet many years later, I'm now the dad. And my children are now coming to me and looking at me with the same big eyes that I remember looking at my dad with. My family is now expecting me to drive throughout the night while they sleep soundly in dreamland. My family is now coming to me with food jars where the lids will not budge. My kids are coming to me with things that are broken, expecting me to somehow fix them. And I'm expected to drive through the storms with vision that can see absolutely everything. Often as a dad, I find myself in situations where I don't know what I'm doing, and yet I'm expected by my family to find a solution. And I can't help but look back to my own dad and wonder, if the same thing was going on for him. How often was my dad completely out of his depth and he just worked it out in the moment and as a result, we ended up thinking that he was the absolute best. Because just like I'm human and often don't know what I'm doing, I've come to realize that my dad was also human and most of the time, he probably didn't know what he was doing either. With this idea in mind, I'm sure most of us sitting in this room would acknowledge that Jesus is one of our main heroes. In fact, seeing how I opened talking about superheroes, I love the design of a T-shirt that Mason used to wear all the time. It's gonna come up. There you go. That's all the, the superheroes with Jesus in the middle saying, and that's how I saved the world. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate hero because He really did save the world. Yet I sometimes wonder if we forget that Jesus was also completely human. And as a result, He often faced difficulties. And sometimes Jesus even struggled with the task that God laid before Him. You see, I think we can often fall into the trap of picturing Jesus walking towards His crucifixion kind of like we picture a Marvel superhero. Jesus is standing with the sun setting behind him, Jesus puffs out his chest and he says to his disciples, Don't worry, guys, I got this. And then Jesus walks to the cross. But the Bible paints quite a different picture. Jesus' journey to the cross began with tears and anguish as Jesus struggled to come to grips with what was about to happen to him. If you have your Bibles with you, we're in Matthew. 26, I'm going to be reading verses 36 to 46. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We're doing a two week sermon series called Submitting for Victory. And the reason that I believe that this sermon series is important is because if we really want to see God's victory come upon New Zealand, Then I believe it needs to start with his followers submitting every area of their lives to him. Now, last week we looked at the cost of following Jesus, and this week we're looking at what it means to submit our lives to the will of God. And the first point for us this morning is following God's will is not easy. Jesus knows what lies before him over the next 24 hours, Jesus knows that he's going to get arrested. Jesus knows that He's going to be beaten and scourged. Jesus knows that He's going to hang on a cross. And Jesus knows that owing to the weight of carrying the curse of sin, He is going to face abandonment from His heavenly Father. And in verse 38, Jesus highlights how all of this is making Him feel, saying to Peter, James and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch with me. Jesus is struggling with the path that lays before him, and Jesus is showing us that God's will is not always easy. We really need to understand this today. Following God's will is not easy. You might respond to this saying, Yes, but Jeremy, Jesus' path was different for him. We don't have to die for the sins of the world. Yes, that is true. We don't have to go down the exact same path as Jesus, but Jesus did call us down a path that means we should be living for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. And I can promise you, when you take a stand against the kingdom of the world, it will not be easy. Why? Because the kingdom of God stands in stark contrast to the kingdom of the world. Think about it. What does God teach about money? compared to what the world teaches about money? What does God teach about sexuality compared to what the world teaches about sexuality? What does God teach about love compared to what the world teaches about love? What does God teach about anger compared to what the world teaches about anger? The list could go on and on. The kingdom of God is a different way of life. And when we live differently to the culture around us, it's not going to be easy. But if we want to see revival, if we want to see God's power unleashed in New Zealand, then we need to submit every area of our lives to Him. Also, I believe Jesus struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane challenges what has become a myth in Western theology. You see, many people in the West believe that tough and difficult times are not from God. Often I hear people within the church say things like, I came against a bit of opposition and so I concluded that this can't be God's way for me. In fact, I remember one pastor, a pastor saying to me, if I ever get too much pushback or from my church, then I'll know this is not where God wants me and I'll move on to the next church. We need to smash this myth to smithereens. The Garden of Gethsemane teaches us that tough and difficult times are what it means to follow the will of God in our lives. The question should not be, am I struggling? Am I receiving pushback? Is this difficult? No, the question should rather be, Lord, what path are you wanting me to walk down? And then we should have the faith and courage to walk down that path, no matter what might happen we really need to get it into our heads that following God's will is not easy. Which leads nicely into our next point. Following God's will requires prayer. Jesus is about to enter the most difficult moment of his life. And what does he begin by doing? Jesus prays. There is a huge lesson in this for us today. Our lives need to be saturated in prayer. And I believe Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane teaches us two important things about prayer. First, prayer should be our foundation. In Jesus' struggle, in Jesus' moment of temptation, in Jesus' weakness, He turns to the Father in prayer. Jesus didn't use prayer in a reaction-type way as things fall to pieces. Rather, Jesus began with prayer. I often worry today that we use prayer as a last resort. We pray when everything has gone wrong or when we have no other options. Prayer is not the paint that we splash onto the house once it's finished. No, prayer should be the foundation of our house. It should be the first thing that we do because it connects us with God and with God's will, which should then steer us into the future that God has for us. Prayer should be our first port of call. I'll be the first to admit that my natural tendency is to use prayer as a last resort when everything else has failed. If I hear about a marriage that is struggling, I'll charge on in and try and help. And then often days later, I'll think, oh, maybe I should have prayed about that. About two years ago, I made the conscious effort to start each day with a prayer walk. I'll just go out and I'll walk around the lake a couple of times. And while I do this, I pray. This routine has helped change my perspective and I'm now finding that when when situations emerge throughout the day, I'm now starting with prayer rather than using it as a last resort. For example, if I hear about a family that is struggling, I now find myself praying for that family before I head into the situation. Prayer is becoming my foundation, not an afterthought. I don't always get it right but it's amazing how the simple task of starting each day with prayer is changing my perspective and my habits. We as an eldership met on Thursday simply to have a day of prayer. We decided that before we had our first official meeting for 2023 and get caught up in the business of what this year would hold, we just wanted to take some time out and spend a day praying and seeking God's will for our church. In a way, the eldership are trying to model the Garden of Gethsemane. We are starting with prayer. It's a great question for all of us to ask. Is prayer our foundation or do we use prayer as a last resort? The second thing we can learn about prayer from Jesus is prayer is repetitive. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus essentially prayed for the same thing three different times. In fact, Jesus's prayers are so similar that the third time Jesus prays, Matthew doesn't even record what Jesus said. He simply says in verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus is repeating himself three times, in fact. Now, why? Is Jesus worried that God didn't hear him the first two times? Is Jesus hoping that the more he prays, the more God might change his mind? Is Jesus worried that God might forget? I think we know the answer to each of those questions is no. Jesus knew that God could hear him. Jesus knew what God's will for it was for him and that God was not going to change his mind. And I think it's safe to say that Jesus knew God doesn't forget. So why the repetition? Well, It's simple prayer keeps Jesus connected with God. You see, sometimes when it comes to prayer, sometimes we have a long list and there's just so much that we can pray to God for. But there are other times, especially when we're facing difficulties, where it's like there is only one thing on our minds. When Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, there is only one thing on his mind, his upcoming crucifixion and doing the will of God. So this is what Jesus prays. And by praying, Jesus stays connected with God and more importantly, with God's will. If you ever find yourself in a situation where there's only one thing on your mind and in your thoughts, then don't be scared to pray that one thing over and over and over again. Because by praying, you are staying connected and that is what is important. And Jesus knew that by being connected, he would then be strengthened to face what lay ahead of him. I mean, that is the power of prayer. If you want to experience God's power in your life, then start praying with him every moment that you get. This leads to our next point. Following God's will requires support. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is our hero. But like I said earlier, Jesus is also human. And in his weakest moment, he needed some support to help get him through. Reading verses 37 to 38, it says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch with me. I really don't want to overcomplicate this point. Jesus is human, and Jesus needed the support of his mates to help him through a tough and difficult time. Now, if Jesus needed the help of his mates, how much more should we need the help of others today? I believe today so many people struggle with pride, and as a result, we don't like to ask for help, and therefore we try to do things on our own we need to learn from Jesus. If Jesus, who is our model and guide, needed the help and support of others, shouldn't this become our goal for us in our times of need? We are not created to be in isolation. We are not created to go through life alone. And we're definitely not created to face tough and difficult moments without the support of those around us. Now, this point actually has two parts. First, We need to be willing to invite people to be with us in our time of need. And second, we need to be willing to be there for people in their time of need. Often we're good at one, but not the other. For example, I've met people who are great at being there for others and providing pastoral care. But when it comes to receiving, they almost get upset when people offer help and they declare, no, no, I'm happy doing it on my own. On the other hand, I've met people that are great at receiving help and support from others, but they never offer it. They only ever receive. We need to make sure that we're open to do both. For instance, there are going to be times in our life when we're going to have to sit with someone and help them through a tough and difficult time. I've sat with families in their time of need, and I'll be honest, it's not easy. When people are crying... When people are in pain, when people are angry, it can be an uncomfortable place to sit in. Now, a word of caution, when you sit with people who are going through a tough and difficult time, please don't try to make them feel better with fancy words or cliche Bible verses. It does not help. Rather, do what Jesus asked of Peter, James, and John. Just sit with them. Now don't get me wrong, you'll want to say things because you love the person and you want to make them feel better, but in my experience, your words are not going to help. The person just needs you to be there with them. This is what actually makes it uncomfortable, but trust me, your presence is going to help them in ways you'll never be able to understand, just like the disciples' presence helped Jesus. So we all need to work hard to make time to be there for people in their time of need. But we also need to be willing to receive help and support when we're going through a tough time. I've had to learn how to put this one into practice. I mean, this might come as a surprise to you all, but I'm actually a really private person. It's it's true. People often think I'm open because I'm the guy up the front and I'm sharing my life in my sermons. So they're like, oh, you're an open book. But I'm actually, you know, you get me one-on-one, I'm private, and I don't really like to share with many people. I keep it close to, my, close to my heart. And I'm having to learn to trust God and trust the people that He places in my life and allow these people to be able to be there for me. Now, just over a week ago, I was at worship practice, and after practice had finished, where most people had left, I ended up in a one-on-one conversation with, with Rob at the back. I told Rob, no falling asleep today because you might have a mention. He looked at me, he said, I don't sleep during your sermons. Good man, good man. Anyway, while we were talking, Rob looked at me and asked me how things are going. And at that moment, I faced a choice. Do I give Rob the classic human response and smile at him and say, things are good, thanks? Or do I see this as an opportunity from God to be real and honest and maybe to get some support? I decided to fight my natural tendencies to be private and I gave Rob a real answer. And I shared with him many of the things that I've been struggling with over the last couple of months. Rob simply listened. And when I finished talking, he just reached out, he placed his arm on me and he just started praying over me. I left that night feeling recharged and energized about stepping out into God's will for 2023. And a big part of that came from allowing Rob to be there for me. I believe we all need to learn from the Garden of Gethsemane about supporting one another. Sometimes we need to be like Jesus and receive the support. Other times we need to be like the disciples and give the support. Either way, we need to be prepared to do both. And that leads nicely into our final point. Following God's will requires being on guard. Although Jesus needed the support of the disciples, the disciples unfortunately failed miserably at giving Jesus the support needed. Verses 40 to 41 read, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus needed the support of Peter, James, and John, but they kept falling asleep. Jesus challenges them to pray that they will not fall into into temptation, but sleep keeps winning the battle. There is an important lesson in this for us today. We need to be on guard. Moments before the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had vowed his allegiance to Jesus, saying in verse 33, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. A few verses after this declaration, we find Peter struggling to stay awake to support Jesus. And then a few verses after Gethsemane, we'll have Peter denying three times that he even knew Jesus. What's the point here? Well, the enemy is extremely good at deceiving and taking followers of Jesus off course. And if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to us today. Therefore, Jesus needs his disciples to pray against temptation and to continually be on guard. You would probably be mortified to find out how many followers of Jesus sit in my office And tell me about how they are living their lives outside the Word of God, but how this is okay for them and how God has no problems with this. I find myself in these kinds of conversations far too often. People look at me and they say, Jeremy, I don't have to forgive that person because, and then they rattle off a reason. Jeremy, I don't have to love that person because, and then they rattle off a reason. Jeremy, I don't have to be careful about how much I gossip about others because then they rattle off a reason. Jeremy, I don't have to live within God's guidelines for sex because then they rattle off a reason. Even when I challenge these people with Scripture, they often look at me and say, well, those verses don't really apply to me personally, do they? And when they walk out of my office, I usually sit back in my chair and I say to myself, Oh boy, the enemy is good at deceiving. Boy, the enemy is good at deceiving. We need to acknowledge this. And as a result, we need to be on guard. And the best way to be on guard is for us to take the time to learn about how we are wired Only you know you, and therefore you know what your weaknesses are and what it means for you to be on guard. For example, it it would be a complete waste of time putting in a heap of financial boundaries if you actually struggled with sexual temptation. Being on guard will look different for each person. You need to learn about yourself and how you are wired. And there are three things that I believe are important if we want to be on guard from any attack from the enemy. First, We pray. We looked at prayer earlier, but this is another reminder that every area of our lives needs to be saturated in prayer. Second, we put in appropriate boundaries to keep us out of temptation's way. If you struggle with money, then you need some financial boundaries. If you struggle with gossip, then you need some social boundaries. If you struggle with sexual temptation, then you need some sexual boundaries. Boundaries help keep us out of harm's way. It's the fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff type concept. Boundaries can help prevent us from falling. And third, we need accountability. Accountability is becoming a thing of the past because the reality is people just want to live their lives their way and they don't want to be challenged about how they are living. But accountability is biblical and accountability is vital if we want to live healthy spiritual lives. In fact, I'm actually doing a sermon on accountability in a few weeks' time. So I'm not gonna give too much away here except highlight its importance. So there you have it, prayer, appropriate boundaries and accountability. If we can put these things in place, then we will be able to stand guard against any attack that comes from the enemy. Now, as we come to a close, you're probably realizing that this kind of life is not easy. And it is extremely difficult. To saturate our lives in prayer is going to take a lot of hard work and dedication. To offer support to one another and be willing to receive support is going to take a lot of emotional energy and vulnerability. To be on guard from any attack of the enemy is going to require submission and sacrifice as we seek God's will instead of our own ways and desires. To put these things into practice is no easy feat. Which is why our first point was so important. Following God's will is not easy. We have a choice. We can live for the world or we can live for the kingdom of God. But like I keep saying, if we want to see God's power unleashed, if we want to see revival, if we want to see God's kingdom come to earth, then it needs to start with God's people submitting every area of their lives to Him. As it says at the end of one of my favourite movies, Bruce Almighty, where a guy gets to play God for a bit, but at the end he's having a conversation with God and God says to him, that's your problem, Bruce. That's everybody's problem. They keep looking up. What they don't realise is they have the power. You want to see a miracle? Be the miracle. Do you have it, church? We have the power. We have the resurrected spirit inside. We can't keep looking up. We have to step forward into what God has for us. Are you willing to submit your life to God's will? As someone famous once said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Music team, do you wanna join me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, first and foremost. Your story. Your story that started in, genera- uh, in Genesis. Your story that is still working its way out through to Jesus. Your story that is still working out to today, to us. And your story that will one day end up where we read in the book of Revelation. This ongoing narrative. About you saving us. And we thank you of what that meant. We thank you that you were willing to to sacrifice all to become human. And we thank you that as you were human, you didn't act like a superhero per se. You acted like a human. You cried you wept you worried about people you were were human and you show us what it means to be human and i pray that we can learn from that account in gethsemane that we can learn about what it means to be human from you the creator of all may we never be too proud to come to you and ask you for direction and guidance. May we never be too proud to ask those around us to help or to offer help to people in their time of need. Or may we never be too proud to to live for you, to seek you. And Lord, we're gonna make mistakes we're going to get things wrong and we just ask for in those times that your grace and forgiveness will flood over us and make us new again in you. May our mistakes never stop us from stepping out into the futures you have for us. Rather, may we know that when we confess our mistakes to you, you forget them as far as the east is from the west. But also, I pray that we'll never use your grace as an excuse to not keep walking forward in your ways. Lord, this is big stuff. This is hard stuff, and we need you. We need you, Lord, to be our strength, to be our guide. So as we look to 2023 and beyond, may we keep our eyes fixed firmly on you, May we, as we looked at it New Year's Day, may we fight hard for that prize, not because we need to earn our salvation, but because we don't want to be taken off course in the process by the enemy who, as Peter says, is roaming around like a prowling lion. So Lord, we pray for protection. We pray for strength. And we pray that we will all Have the courage to to say those words. Not my will, Lord, but your will. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.